Oblate School of Theology is a Catholic graduate school that provides theological education for the Church's mission and ministry in the world. Inspired by the charism of the missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate, Oblate School of Theology educates, forms, and renews men and women to preach the gospel to the most abandoned. OST prepares Catholic priests, deacons, seminarians, non-Catholic clergy, women religious, and lay ministers through the integration of pastoral experience and theological study. Visit ost.edu to learn more about program options. That's ost.edu. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. I'm your host, Colleen Dully. It's been five years since the release of Laudato Si. And as Jerry and I mentioned on this week's show, Pope Francis has called for a year of prayer and study on the encyclical's themes of integral human theology. That is, the importance of protecting the environment and the poor who are most directly affected by climate change and the destruction of nature. But five years out, as the Church works with a new resolve to implement Laudato Si, it's worth asking, did the document make a difference the first time around? Two Princeton University sociologists recently released a paper studying exactly that. Sam Winter-Levy and Brian Schoenfeld examined data sets from a survey of Americans' opinions on climate change from before and after the release of Laudato Si. And they found that among church-going Catholics, there was a significant shift towards belief that climate change is real and caused by humans, and that there is a moral imperative to take action on it. Joining me today to discuss their study are Brian Schoenfeld and Sam Winter-Levy. Welcome inside the Vatican. Thank you for having us. So uh, you analyzed data from a survey that was conducted on the same respondents before and after Laudato Si came out to see how their thoughts might have changed. Um, what did you find out about the impact that it had or didn't have? So, so we were interested in looking at a few different types of attitudes. We were interested in finding out how people's attitudes changed on, one, just the their perception of the science around climate change. Did they think that there was a strong scientific consensus that global warming is actually happening and that it's man-made? We're also interested in, in uh, seeing whether survey respondents change their perception of whether climate is a religious issue or a moral issue as opposed to just a scientific issue. And then we're also interested in whether this translates into actual policy views. So do they actually become more likely to support policy action by Congress or the president to mitigate the effects of climate change? And what do you find? So we do find some evidence that the encyclical persuaded religious Catholics, and we're kind of defining religious Catholics or observant Catholics as those Catholics that attend church at least once a week. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, there, there are different ways to think about this, but that seems kind of an, an easy way to think about who our treatment group is. It's the group of people who would most be um, most likely to follow the release of the encyclical and to actually be exposed to some of the rhetoric. And we see that people in that group of, of, of observing Catholics become disproportionately more likely to believe there's a scientific consensus around climate change, especially those who are skeptics before. Oh, wow. Um, we also find that they that the same group becomes disproportionately more likely to view climate change as a moral and religious issue compared to before the encyclical. And finally, we do find evidence that observing Catholics become disproportionately uh, more supportive of policies to mitigate climate change by Congress and the president, mm -hmm. and that it's those respondents in the survey that change their views of the science who become more likely to support policy change. It's not really about changing 
perceptions of whether it's a religious issue that drives policy attitudes. It's really changing perceptions of the science. That's really interesting. Um, So did you find that these kind of three areas changed at the same rate or, you know, did laudatissi maybe have more of an impact in one area than another? So I think what's interesting here is that in terms of the scientific consensus, it's really just the people who are skeptical before that changed their attitudes, which which really makes a lot of sense because if, if if you're already convinced about the science, you don't you're not going to really change your attitudes very much. But I th- I think in the broad population there is a lot of change on whether climate is a religious issue because that's maybe not a linkage that people would have traditionally made. Mm-hmm. And when you say a religious issue, you mean kind of that there's a moral imperative around acting on it, right? Right, right. It's the the perception of climate as a uh, as kind of a religious issue, the, the perception that acting is a religious obligation and a moral obligation as opposed to kind of a technocratic um, t- type of issue. And I think what's really interesting here is that the Pope is obviously a religious figure, and you might expect the Pope to be able to persuade adherents that a certain political issue um, it's tied to religious values. But what's really interesting here is that the Pope as a religious figure is actually changing beliefs about facts, beliefs about scientific consensus. Mm, That is interesting. It's kind of a paradox where maybe traditionally a lot of secularists would be skeptical of whether the the Catholic Church or, or any religious organization is constructive from the point of view of science. But here it seems that the Pope is actually helping build support for the scientific consensus, described it as a religious obligation. In the paper, you're responding often to this uh, kind of idea. You cite uh, the Rome reporter Jason Horowitz uh, as saying that, you know, the Pope doesn't have so much political influence anymore. And it seemed like you were interested in uh, maybe reckoning with that idea in, in your study too, quantifying what the Pope's political influence is. Yeah, I think you've seen quite a lot of recent reports from journalists, from newspapers, that the Pope is a forgotten figure, that the Pope doesn't wield influence anymore, where you know, with the rise of kind of nationalist, you know, nationalist populists, the far right, that the Pope is kind of more, and, and particularly there's this kind of narrative that the, the institutional religion is on the way and that the Pope wields much less political influence today. Uh, and I mm-hmm. think we're a bit skeptical of that narrative. And I think, you know, we're showing we, we can't show necessarily whether the Pope has more or less influence now than he did in the past, but we're definitely showing that he still does wield you know, real political influence. He really is kind of reaching a set of people and changing attitudes on, on a major issue. Um, so, so, yeah, we definitely wanted to push back a little bit on that narrative that the Pope is a kind of entirely forgotten figure. Right. So um, when we talk about, you know, what this, this group of people whose opinions change, um, what what percentage of the respondents actually did change their views? Like, how big of an impact are we talking here? In terms in terms of of measuring the impact, it's it's something that's very tricky because we, if you look at the uh, change over time and the answers given by survey respondents between March and October, and the typical came out in June. Overall, in the whole sample, which includes not only religious Catholics but also Catholics that are not religious and also Protestants. Mm-hmm. In the whole sample, that the, there's a general positive trend in terms of more people believe climate change is an issue and support action on climate change. But it's hard to know if we can attribute that to the Pope, because obviously there are other things that change in the summer of 2015, and it's hard to know whether 
a general trend among the whole population towards greater belief that global warming is happening. It's, 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 it's purely due to the encyclical or not. Mm-hmm. So the important part here is that on the church-going Catholics, the, uh, the response was disproportionate, right? Right. That's the approach we took because, because even if there is a general positive trend towards greater belief in climate change, we'd expect this trend to be disproportionate, as you said, in the, in the group of observing Catholics that would be most exposed to the rhetoric of this encyclical. Got it. So you two were interested in examining the influence of public figures on public opinions. I'm wondering why you chose to study Pope Francis and Laudato Si as your case study specifically. Yeah, so political scientists have known for a long time that um, the, the, the cues from elites can have a big influence on public opinion. Uh, but there's been much less work kind of looking at religious figures. Mm-hmm. I think religious figures are quite interesting in this regard because they're, they're often kind of nonpartisan, uh, so they can transcend kind of, especially on issues like climate change, which are quite politicized. They can often transcend these kind of partisan cleavages. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 that see in particular, I think, is one of the most high-profile interventions by a religious figure in a kind of major political debate. Right. And, and I think, you know, if you look at Laudato, it's very deliberately kind of trying to convince a set of people who might not otherwise be convinced. It's trying to kind of bring home the importance of climate change as an issue and to kind of oh, to kind of step past these kind of old political divisions over it. Uh, and, and there was a lot of, kind of when, when Laudato came out, uh, lots of people thought that it would have, would have a huge influence. But there wasn't much evidence really looking at whether you know, it actually did have the influence that people claimed it would have. So we thought we would kind of look at this a little bit more kind of systematically. I'm wondering what your study ended up telling you about the role that that public figures have on influencing opinions, and then maybe specifically how the Pope stacks up to those. Yeah, so I think one takeaway from our study is that a much broader range of elites in society can have influence on political issues than many kind of academics have traditionally um, traditionally focused on. So not just kind of political leaders, not just politicians, not just kind of media, you know, media you know, journalists, but also, you know, religious, you know, many, many, many of these religious leaders, not, I mean, the, the Pope is, uh, is an obvious example, but there are you know, many other religious leaders who also play a really important role mm-hmm. in shaping public attitudes in both about facts and also about, um, you know, moral beliefs about what to do about those facts on politically charged questions. I think, I think you, you know, also looking at, looking more, carefully at the different ways in which elites can kind of can have an influence that it's not just about necessarily changing people's minds but you know that you can change people's minds and there are many different factors that go into how you change people's minds both in terms of which information people believe but also how significant they believe different um facts are in terms of shaping their kind of moral priorities um now you know, obviously, Laudato Si is is about more than climate change, right? It's it's also about poverty. It's about this this mentality that Pope Francis calls the throwaway culture, right? This this idea that you know people on the margins of society are are disposable. Um, I wonder if you looked at any other aspects of how people's opinions on those sort of social justice topics changed after Laudato Si, or did you focus primarily on uh, ecology? So. Uh- in terms of unpacking some of the moral issues, we we really looked at at a, at a set of related questions, which are: um, is climate a poverty issue, a social justice issue, a moral issue, and a religious issue? And those and those the answers to those questions are very highly correlated because they're really asking the same question: like, is there a moral obligation to act here? Um, it's de- I think one thing that uh, that's definitely interesting about the encyclical, as you mentioned, is that 
the Pope is really making an argument that's much that's much bigger than just saying we should act on climate change. He's he's saying that there's this bigger problem of global poverty, of, of of marginalized populations, and it's really tying climate to that broader to that broader issue. In, in terms of the, the question of, of of policy, we uh, we let the questions that I asked. Do you think Congress should do more to combat climate change? Should private corporations do more to combat climate change? Should the president do more? But the answer to that normative question depends on both a values component, given a set of facts, what should we do about climate change? But also the, the very foundation of that is first believing that there are, that there are a set of facts around global warming and, and around, um, around human contributions to that problem. And so I think that's why the Pope convincing some adherents of the science is what actually drives changing views about what we should do as a country, as a government, because you, you really first need to believe that there is a factual problem before you, can, before you can get to the question of what should we do about it. I wonder if you were surprised by your findings at all. Uh, yeah, I think we were, I mean, to some extent, we weren't surprised in the sense that if anything, if any if any intervention by the Pope in a major political ish- debate is going to have an impact, you would expect it to be Laudato Si, just because it was such a high profile, you know, it got so much publicity, it was such a, it, it was so deliberately kind of designed to, to really have a big impact on the debate over climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, so to some extent, I don't think we were that surprised to find that it had, you know, some influence. I think we, we were a little bit surprised to see just, you know, to, to, to see just how big the effects were among Catholics. Like, we, we, you know, you might have thought that it might have been hard to like actually detect these findings in a you know in in a in these kind of quantitative surveys, but that we found some effects. I think was a little bit surprising. Yeah, we're often talking on this show about statements that Pope Francis makes and initiatives that the Vatican takes up. And my question, as a young American seeing these things from far away, is often whether this makes a real difference, right? And that question can be difficult to answer, particularly because of the way that Pope Francis leads the church. Um, While he does take a lot of structural reforms, he's also a big believer that the way to bring about change is really to reach people's hearts and minds, and that you have to do that in order to make the structural reforms stick. We saw this happen, for example, at the summit on sexual abuse last year, when he had the bishops listen to survivors rather than just having them focus first on protocols, which is what a lot of people expected him to do. And we see something similar in Laudato Si, right? He's he's making an appeal to people's consciences to convince them that climate change and poverty are an important issue, rather than just sending out decrees that like every church has to install solar panels or something, right? But that focus on changing hearts and minds can make the changes really difficult to quantify. And that's why I found your study really interesting, because you were able to say concretely that this kind of appeal actually does have an effect on the people who are exposed to it. Um, so thank you for your research, and thanks for coming on the show to talk with me about your findings. Uh, one last thing, where can people find your work? So uh, we, we both have websites, so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll plug my website first, which is just myname.com, so, <laughs> so it's brianschoenfeld.com. Yep, and mine is samwentalevy.com. I will link to both of those in the show notes, and I'll also link to uh, your paper in case our listeners want to learn more. And for maybe a more popular audience, uh, there's also a Washington Post opinion piece that you guys wrote about your study. Um, Thanks so much, and hopefully uh, we can talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to talk. Inside the Vatican is a production of American Media. This week's episode was produced by Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Production help this week by Gabby Guerrero. 
You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I. You can also email us your questions and comments at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. For America Media, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.